0: been through uh, six chapters so far where uh, we just have a few holocaught left in chapter six of the laws of Hilkot, Avadot, Kokavim, Bakukotehim, which is the laws of idolatry and their statutes. So basically for people that are just catching up, uh, if you look on YouTube, you can find all the previous classes. Uh, we're trying to understand basically what Hashem teaches us from the Torah and from our sages uh, with the Oral Torah. Um, what God expects us concerning idolatry, and this involves Jews and non-Jews alike, goes out to the whole world on what God expects concerning idolatrous behavior, learning about it, studying it. Uh, God forbid that we would ever fall into the worship of idols, but, you know, it's good to know these things, in other words. So, okay, anybody have a good joke? No? All right. We have a dinosaur joke in the house. Just not extinct, right? What do you call a ninja dinosaur? Wow, well, I'm baffled. What do we do? You never saw, you never saw us. <laughs> See, it's a sneaky one. Huh? That's a good one. Thank you. All right, that took all the pressure off. Right. Uh. <laughs> all right. Um so uh it's like I said it's been a long time so uh we'll review the last halakas uh a little bit. Uh, we left off talking about um the laws concerning uh, Molech. If you remember, if you guys remember, it's directly written in the Torah not to offer your progeny to um the false Deity or service of Molech. Okay. So we, we talked about that a little bit. And um, we left off where in Halakha, chapter 6, Halakai 6, it says a monument which the Torah has forbidden is a structure around which people gather. So this prohibition applies even when it was constructed for the service of God because this is a pagan practice. So... Um, Hashem doesn't, uh, doesn't accept monuments built even for his, uh, service. There's only one monument that Hashem commanded to, uh, to be built for his service. Any guesses? Anybody? The monument that Hashem, the temple, yes. The Beit HaMikdash? Before that it was known as the Mishkan, the traveling version of the temple was the Mishkan, right? Or the Tabernacle? Okay, so, it's it's prohibited to build a monument, even for the service of God, because this is a pa- pagan practice, as uh, Deuteronomy 16.22 states, Do not erect a monument which God hates. Whoever erects a monument is punished by lashes. So they're not cut off from the people with death, but they are. they do get a pretty bad spanking with a stick, or whatever the mode of lashes, up to, what is it, 40 lashes. So they typically would never deal out any more than 39. Okay, so similarly a person who bows down on the kneeling stone mentioned in the Torah receives lashes even if he prostrates oneself upon it to God. As Leviticus twenty-six one states, do not place a kneeling stone in your land to prostrate, prostrate yourself upon it. The pagans would customarily place a stone before a false deity so they could prostrate themselves upon it. Therefore, this practice is not followed in the worship of God. A person is not punished by lashes until he spreads out his hands and feet on the stone, thus prostrating himself on it entirely. This is what the Torah means by bowing. So to lay full frontal, face down, hands and feet on the ground. Okay, let's see. Um, there's a note here. Uh, it talks. It's a reference to bowing. Um, it says, uh, Megillah 22b derives this concept from Genesis 37.10. Shall your mother and I come to prostrate ourselves before you on the earth? Uh, this sounds like it's referring to, uh, Yosef. Right. Uh, shall your mother and I, because Yosef had a dream about the sun and the moon and bowing and, mm-hmm. and these things and he uh, he was telling his father about his dream, if I remember correctly, and he says, so what are your mother and I supposed to come and bow before you on the earth? To prostrate? Of course, that's not the case, but, um all right. Any questions here? Yes. When do these rules not prostrate yourself apply? Okay, we're because we're going into that right now. Good question. We're going into that now. The question was when do these rules apply not to prostrate yourself? Very good. So that's Holocaust seven starts with this. Where does the prohibition mentioned above apply? every place outside the temple in the temple however it is permitted to bow down to God on stone but anywhere outside the temple it is not permitted to bow down before any object on stone yes sir Yes, bowing, bowing to honor, uh, to honor someone such as a king or a guest is a complete different, completely different idea than bowing before a deity or, or, um, our rabbi, uh, rabbi Jacobian just spoke about this yesterday. So it's a good point to bring up. Um, there is basically two kinds of bowing, bowing to honor someone because of their position. Such as a king or a guest or someone you want to give a uh, kavod or uh, honor to versus bowing down just to an object of worship. Is
1: there a difference between bowing down physically all the way down, prostrating yourself, or just bowing down sort
0: of greeting? like Yeah, like, uh, like in uh, some Asian cultures, you mean, uh, where the pe- people will bow? No, that's that's not that's proper. That's absolutely proper. You
1: know that seems like a um, greeting that doesn't seem
0: like a worship. No, it's absolutely not a worship. Now there there are some religious leaders that wear a ring that signifies their religious status, if you would. To kiss the ring, that's that's not appropriate. Um, but to bow before a king or someone of uh, dignitary stature is and uh, no, by no means a problem uh, we read about uh, mordecai um, that it says the 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 texts the text says that he uh, he refused to bow down before haman um, the sages teach us that the uh, the primary reason he wouldn't bow before haman was not because he didn't want to give kavod to Haman's position but he had an idol around his on a chain on his neck so he refused to bow to the idol not so much the man because if you read later on in the same text it, it talks about where Mordecai bowed before the king himself right. that makes sense. so what's, where's the difference here what, he wouldn't bow to Haman but he bows to the king These Haman was the king's right hand man so he did deserve some honor of course so what's the difference? It was the idol hanging from the chain on his neck. Okay. So, yeah, it's absolutely fine to bow to, you know, as a custom of honor or greeting to someone. That's not a problem. It's when it's an object of worship. That's what we're dealing with. Um, let's see. So every place outside the temple, it, it, um, it is... It, not permitted to bow down on stone. This concept is derived as follows. Leviticus states, do not place in your land, uh, so on, and in your land it is forbidden to prostrate oneself on stones. You may, however, prostrate yourself on hewn stones in the temple. So the temple courtyard and the temple building were paved with stones and the Jews and the priests would prostrate themselves there. So uh for here, here's a prime example uh imagine on Yom Kippur uh you have people showing up you know from all over the nation of Israel and even all over the world to come to worship Hashem on this day and um, the the shofar would be sounded on this day and this is the one time of year that the name the explicit name of Hashem would be mentioned um and then there would be a phrase that said Um, it's the the phrase after we say the first paragraph of Shema is Baruch Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Le'olam Va'ed this phrase would be said and while being said the the people would prostrate themselves in the courtyard towards uh, towards the sanctuary so um, this is you know the courtyard of the temple would be cut stone paved with cut stone so um, that's a that's one time where we would see this, or even, yeah, maybe uh, possibly any any day where people were there bringing offerings and prostrating themselves to towards the sanctuary.
1: I, I, I would submit maybe this would be a good place to mention the reason why, in postmodern Judaism uh, or in modern Judaism, period, Jews uh, do not kneel to pray; they stand in prayer and because uh, after the temple era when there is no temple it's very clear that it's something you're going to avoid you don't get on your knees to pray just to avoid the whole the whole situation of doing anything like the pagans do. and if yeah. you notice every pagan religion in the world kneels or prostrates itself in way.
0: yeah pr- primarily every religion in the world m- Maybe maybe there's a few rogue religions that don't Kneel, but it's right, right. But uh, the major religions of the world, other than Judaism, primarily kneel or, or bow when they pray, primarily. Um, and like uh, like Ruven was saying here, uh, obviously, uh, according to the laws of the Torah, we don't want to mimic things that idolatrous or false types of modes of worship. We don't want to copy those things, and. That's the primary mode of worship all over the world today is uh, to kneel or bow during prayer. So even today, um, even today, Jews will do in their prayers a simple. There's four times that a Jewish person bows during the prayer services. Uh, Once in the beginning um, with the opening uh, blessing. Then there's two blessings in the middle um, that one would bow and then um, to finish to finish off the prayer service, this is the part uh, the Shemona Esrae we're talking about. Uh, at the very end, one bows, but it's not a prostration. Um, the, the knees are bent, then the waist, and then the, the neck. Um, and it's all done while standing. Okay. Um, another thing that we don't do is put our hands together. And if one must put their hands together, it's done like this. But typically, uh, your hands would be up with your uh, if you're praying. Your Siddur should be in your hands, so or your prayer book. Okay. So this relates to what you brought up, Ruven. Uh, so a person, a person, however uh, they may, however prostrate themselves on hewn stones in the temple. For this reason, it is a universally accepted custom among the Jewish people to place mats, straw, or hay in synagogues that are paved with stones to separate between their faces and the stones. Okay. So, Megillah 22b mentions this concept in connection with the recitation of Tachanun prayers, which which certain individuals would recite lying spread out on the floor. Um, today, this is not practiced. Uh, we have to remember these. Uh, this book of Halakha was assembled uh, a little over 800 years ago. So the practices have changed slightly over the years. Uh, due to the economic and uh, political environments, uh, we have to remember that the Jewish people are at lar- largely in exile. So uh, in a lot of cases, we're at mercy of the governments um, where we live in different countries and such. Okay, um, so straw, mat straw, or hay in synagogues that are paved with stones to separate between their faces and the stones. If it is impossible to find anything to separate between them and the stones, the person should go to another place to prostrate himself or lie on his side so that he will not press his face to the stone. A person who prostrates himself to God upon paved stones without spreading out his hands and feet is not punished by lashes. He is, however, punished by blows for rebelliousness. In contrast, one who prostrates himself to a false deity should be stoned to death. (laughs) Big difference in severity. That's a good question. The, the question is, is there any record in history where the Jewish court would have uh, enacted these uh, modes of execution, right? Um, there are certain places in the Torah where people did certain things and it was shown. Uh, some, some teachers would say that, th- that a lot of these things were never enacted. And some, give, uh, some sages in the Talmud give explanations on where th- these things definitely happened. Um, I'm not at, I'm not educated enough to know right off the top of my head, but that is something that I can review and get back to everyone on that. Yeah, this may help too. None of this is done to a person out of ignorance ever. Uh, these laws do not pl- apply to people who have done things out of ignorance. This, uh, for example, the blows for rebelliousness. This is not someone. That would receive blows because he inadvertently prostrated himself and you know towards Hashem on stone. If he did it, of course, if he was doing this uh, ignorantly, someone would educate him. But then, out of rebelliousness, this thing continues. This is where uh, this this is where the severity of dealing with it comes up. And this isn't done just by uh, by bystanders, like you were pointing out. This is all enacted by the court. And the court the, uh, has always taken great... It cannot make a judgment without it being un, under the ruling of the, of the Torah. And a lot of times when the temple was standing, most of these things... Um, I mean, the, the presence of God, the tangible presence of Hashem was in the temple. So, of course, we know that God sees everything and He's everywhere. He's, nothing goes without being on record with Hashem. But when the, pre- the tangible presence of God is in a place, especially in a place, a house of judgment, a house of worship and prayer, uh, it brings things to a different, per- excuse me, a different perspective. So it's not respectfully, it's not something that would be done willy-nilly or uh, just on a whim uh, or out of ignorance. Uh, these things are not enacted today. The closest thing that the Jewish people have today to this type of system, is uh, known as a Beit Din, which is a, a local court of three judges, and usually that's there to handle civil matters, not uh, capital cases. And th- I mean, it do- they don't handle capital cases. So, for example, if you have a car salesman in the Jewish community and someone buys a car from them and uh, it's a lemon or whatever, God forbid, the Beit Din would work out these things. They work out conversions. You know, people that want to join in with the Jewish people. Uh, things like that, but not capital. Uh, there is no capital judgments these days. It can't happen without the Sanhedrin, because only the High Court uh, can make these judgments of capital punishment. So uh, never out of ignorance. Uh, th- these are these are people that have definitely been warned and that understand what God expects out of a person. Okay. This is something throughout these chapters that we've been studying over the months that we have to, not constantly, but we reiterate that these are things that are not typically not in place today because of the lack of the courts. Thank you for that. Excuse me. Okay. Halakai 8. A person who prostrates himself um, which is again bowing down with his face to the ground and involves his hands and his feet, his whole face frontal to the floor. Um, A person who prostrates himself to God upon paved stones without spreading out his hands and feet is not punished by lashes. He is however punished by blows for rebelliousness. In contrast, one who prostrates himself to a false deity should be stoned to death whether or not he spreads out his hands and feet. As soon as he buries his face in the ground, he is liable. So from the Rambam's expression, it would appear that the transgressor's face would have to touch the ground. From Tractate Sanhedrin 65a, however, it appears that one is liable, even when one merely bent over in deference to the false deity. Um, Halakha 9. A person who plants a tree near the altar or anywhere in the temple courtyard, regardless of whether it is a fruit-bearing tree or not, is punished by lashes. As Deuteronomy 16.21 states, Do not plant an Asherah or any other tree near the altar of God your Lord. This prohibition applies even when he did so to beautify the temple and make it more attractive. The reason for this prohibition is that this was a pagan practice. They would plant trees near their altars so that the people would gather there. And let's see. We're, we're about to wrap up chapter 6. Halakha 10, It is forbidden to construct a porch made of wood in the temple as one would do in one's courtyard, even though the wood would be affixed within the structure and not planted within the ground. This is an extra restriction as implied by the words, any other tree in the verse cited above. Instead, all the porches and structures which protruded from the walls within the sanctuary sanctuary were of stone and not of wood. So as as an extra measure, uh, wood obviously comes from trees. So... (laughs) Not wood from any other tree would be used to, to make a structure inside of the temple. Only stone. Okay, any comments or questions before we go to chapter 7? Okay, that was pretty straightforward. Chapter 7, uh, Halakha 1, it is a positive commandment to destroy false deities. Now, um, again, destroying these false deities uh, is a commandment specifically to the land of Israel. Um, It's not proper to go into other people's uh, domains in other nations and countries and take it upon oneself to destroy uh, public property (laughs) or private property, nonetheless. Yeah,
1: can't
0: go into... To where? Greece. Oh, yeah, you can't go to Greece with a sledgehammer uh, or anywhere else for that matter. <laughs> I mean, if it's part of your clothing and your accessories, maybe, but you can't use it for destroying things. Okay, so as a positive commandment to destroy false deities, all their accessories and everything that is made for their purposes, as Deuteronomy 12, 2 states, you shall surely destroy all the places where the Gentiles served their gods and as implied by Deuteronomy 7 verse 5 rather what you should do to them is tear down their altars in Eretz Yisrael the land of Israel the mitzvah requires us to hunt after idol worship until it is eradicated from our entire land in the uh, diaspora the exile however we are not required to hunt after it Rather, whenever we conquer a place, we must destroy all the false deities contained within. The source for this distinction is Deuteronomy twelve three, which states, And you shall destroy their name from this place, implying that you are obligated to hunt false deities in Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, but you are not obligated to do so in the diaspora or the exile in other countries. Yeah, it falls under the idea of purging the the evil from the land. Okay, uh, Halakai 2. It is forbidden to benefit from false deities, their accessories, offerings for them, and anything made for them, as implied by Deuteronomy 7.26. Do not bring an abomination to your home. Anyone who derives benefit from any of the above receives two measures of lashes. One because of the prohibition, do not bring an abomination. And one because of the prohibition, let nothing which is condemned cling to your hand. Number three, Halakha three. It is forbidden to benefit from an animal which was sacrificed to false deities in its entirety, Even its excrement, its bones, its horns, its hooves, and its hide, it is forbidden to benefit from it at all. To cite an example, the hide of an animal, which is marked by a sign that indicates that it was offered as a sacrifice to false deities. For example, it has a round hole in the place of the heart through which the heart is extracted, which was a common practice of idolaters. It is forbidden to benefit from all of these hides and Others of the like. Number four. What is the difference between an idol belonging to a Gentile and one belonging to a Jew? Wow. It is forbidden to benefit from an idol belonging to a Gentile immediately after it is fashioned, as implied by Deuteronomy 7, verse 25. You shall burn the sculptures of their gods with fire. For example, they are considered gods as soon as they have been sculpted. In contrast, it is not forbidden to benefit from a Jew's idol until he worships it, as implied by Deuteronomy 27.15. Cursed is the person who makes an idol and places it in a hidden place. For example, it is not forbidden until he does private acts, for example, worship on its behalf. The accessories of idol worship, whether belonging to a Jew or to a Gentile, are forbidden until they were actually used for the purpose of idol worship. Number five, when I'm a per-
1: Sorry, I'm kind of you know, thinking of So, if you're a Gentile, the moment that something is fashioned, that's not that's not good. Right? but you're a Jew, you can have it, But you don't. It doesn't. I'm not sure that I heard this correct. So, you can have one, but it's not a an idol until he bows down to it, basically.
0: Okay, it's a little bit more complicated, or I don't want to say complicated. It's more in depth, complex. Thank you. Let's let's review this, and we'll stop with this. We'll, We'll stop here with the text. And we'll pick up on Halakai 5 next class. Okay, so we'll go through it again. What is the difference between an idol belonging to a Gentile and one belonging to a Jew? It is forbidden to benefit from an idol belonging to a Gentile immediately after it is fashioned. As implied by Deuteronomy 7.25, you shall burn the sculptures of their God with fire. For example, they are considered gods as soon as they have been sculpted. Right, because, because the. All right, let's look at the, the this again. You uh, you shall burn the sculptures of their gods with fire. They are considered gods as soon as they have been sculpted. So the sculptures of their gods. So uh, the the idol the idol the type of idol we're here we're talking about here it was specifically sculpted as an idol. So it's to be burned with fire or destroyed, respectively. So it is forbidden to benefit from from it uh, immediately after it has been fashioned, because it's sculpted as a deity, more or less. Okay,
1: but this is something that's being spoken to the
0: Jewish people. The, the laws of idolatry are specific uh, to everyone. There are certain instances here where it divides. Uh, things that have to do specifically with the Jewish people but uh, at large the laws of idolatry apply to, to, to all peoples
1: why would a Jew who says there is only one God and Hashem specifically said have no gods before me why would he even want to have such a thing have it in his possession
0: ok because for, uh, uh, an idol of a non-Jew is a sculpted item as soon as it's sculpted it's already right,
1: but why but we were saying, if a Jew had one in his possession, why would a Jew even have
0: one? All right, we're gonna we're gonna get into this some more here. It's uh, we're not I'm not discarding your question. It's this is complex. We got to pick it apart. Okay. <laughs> okay. In contrast, it is not forbidden to benefit from a Jew's sculpted idol or sculpture until he worships it. Okay. As implied by Deuteronomy twenty-seven fifteen, 15, is the person who makes an idol and places it in a hidden place. For example, it is not forbidden until he does private acts of worship on its behalf. So a Jew may not necessarily make a sculpture for the purpose of it being an idol. So, what is, the, what is the, I'm going to go to the commentary here. What is the difference with regard to the prohibition mentioned in the previous law between an idol belonging to a Gentile and one belonging to a Jew? It is forbidden to benefit from an idol belonging to a Gentile immediately after it is fashioned as implied by the Torah's commandment to destroy idols. You shall burn the sculptures of the gods with fire. For example, the mention of the word sculpture is in addition teaching that they are considered gods as soon as they have been sculpted whether they have been worshipped or not, this is in the case of a uh, uh, of a Gentile having a sculpted item that that's an idol. Even it's still an idol whether it had been worshipped or not because it was fashioned specifically for the purpose of idolatry. Therefore, they are not for, forbidden. They, therefore, they are forbidden from that time onward. Note the comments of Lechem Mishnah, which mentions an apparent contradiction between these statements in Chapter Eight, Halakha Eight, and so on. In contrast, it is not forbidden to benefit from a Jew's idol until he worships it, as implied by Deuteronomy seventeen twenty seven fifteen. curse is the person who makes an idol and places it in a hidden place. But when does the curse fall? Question here. When does the curse fall? Not when the idol is made, but when it is placed in a hidden place. For example, it is not forbidden until he does private acts of worship. For it is unlikely that a Jew would worship a false deity openly. Um... The, assessor- the accessories of idol worship, whether belonging to a Jew or non-Jew, are not forbidden until they are actually used for the purpose of idol worship. Okay, Avodah Zarah 51b derives this concept from exegesis of Deuteronomy 12.2, which states, You shall surely destroy all the places where the Gentiles serve their gods, the Gentiles' place of worship, and their accessories to idol worship... Are not forbidden until the false deities are served. Okay. There's an aspect here. There's an aspect here that I'm having trouble understanding. Along with your question, why would a wh- what would be the purpose of a Jewish person having an idol at all? Right. Yeah, she took her father's idol. She didn't make one.
1: We have an example. Uh, whenever they invade a country and they lay waste, waste uh, you pick something up off the ground that's beautiful, it's a nice sculpted image, and think this is valuable. I could bring it in my house. It'd be worth keeping, and it's a warning. You cannot, even, even if you don't know it was worshiped or not, when it was... When it was formed, it was formed for the purpose of their idolatrous practice, forbidden. That's why they had to destroy. They had to like, tear up even the precious gold. They had to be like, melted down and buried in the ground. They couldn't even take, derived from the idol, the gold that was in the idol. Or to destroy. Like Jericho.
0: Like oh, Jericho. To
1: you took them, them. So you couldn't even take it and melt it down and repurpose it.
0: No, the gold is for... The, all the materials forbidden.
1: So it's not necessarily a Jew. G- oh. No, go ahead. Uh, I think the, what this is trying to say is that if you find the, the statue, what you said, you find a statue from a place you're filling in, you don't take it back to the other walk into a in the house you uh, find the Jew you find a statue. It probably wasn't used as an idol unless it was hidden that like it was used
0: for a tree. Yeah, like it, you see this in a lot of uh, a lot of thriller movies where you have this <laughs> this serial killer. Would be serial killer, and they break into his. The police break in, and they go, and he's got this shrine in the back corner, hidden behind this closet with all these secret doors and passages. And they open it up, and it's these things, these objects of worship, with candles and all this stuff. It's done in. So
1: this is saying more that not a Jew sat down and carved an idol, but that he found one. So well, it, it could didn't... be the Jew carved an idol, but until he worships it. 'm sorry but why would what he he would. carved a sculpture he would just
0: do a sculpture, do a sculpture.
1: like a, a, of a horse or or whatever but unless
0: you worship it it's not an idol. Does that makes sense yeah so it's saying right, right, right so the the law here is saying basically from from what I'm gathering and I'll ask I'll ask my rabbi to help clarify this because it is complex yeah, uh, the rabbi will be, he'll probably in like 30 seconds say, oh, this, this, and this. To, uh, yeah, Toby? Uh, it's definitely going to be an, uh, an idolatrous Gentile. It's not going to be a... Uh, it's, what does it say, John? So it's an idol worshiper, specifically. So it's a non-Jewish idol worshiper. So uh, uh, someone who worships Kokhavim is a definite idol worshiper without a doubt. So, so it's assumed here, what it's saying is that if an idol worshiper has a sculpture, you destroy it. Someone who's known to be an idol worshiper, the sculptures, you presume they're idols, you destroy them. If a Jewish person has a sculpture... Unless it's hidden away uh, for purposes of worship, it's not necessarily a prohibited object to benefit from. I what was confusing me it was saying a, Jewish, a Jew's idol. Right. That was I guess, from... And the word "idol" is in brackets here. It's a it's a contextual word. Did I see a hand go up over here? No. Okay. Okay. Um, so. I think we'll stop here with the text, and uh, next time we'll pick it up. If anybody has any questions or comments, uh, we're open for discussion.